The Old Testament reading for the first Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, Advent is a short time. It's just four Sundays. And Advent is often thought of as, well, basically kind of the freeway on-ramp into Christmas. It's time for us to get our momentum going. It's an acceptable time to put up your Christmas tree, or at least more acceptable than before Thanksgiving, maybe. Right? It's the time where we're doing all of our other preparations for Christmas. We're getting our shopping done. We're making our plans. Who's going where? What dish are you bringing? Who else is going to be there? But this is a somber season. This is a time in the church here that calls for a particular kind of sobriety in a similar way that the season of Lent does. Traditionally, the color of the season is purple to convey that similarity with Lent. But blue is a good color, I think, because it reminds us of the sky. Now, why do we want to be reminded of the sky during Advent? Well, you remember when Jesus ascended and the disciples were watching him go all the way up. And then some angels appeared and said, what are you looking for? Why are you looking up into the heavens? Jesus is going to come back to you the same way you saw him leave. That is, from the sky. So in this season, we use the color blue to remind us that we are a people who look forward. Not just a people who look back to the cross and the resurrection, the empty tomb, the ascension, but we're looking forward saying, come back, Lord Jesus. Because we need him to return. Yes, Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He died to pay the price for our sins. He rose up out of the grave to break the power of death for all who would believe in him. He ascended at, at to, uh, to heaven to take his place at the Father's right hand as the exalted Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But... Is everything cool in your life right now? Is everything great? Is the world healed? No. No. The world is still dark. Our hearts are still dark. Not because the light of the Lord doesn't shine within us, but because while we yet live this life, we still have this body of death. Sin still wages war against us and against each other. And 
All of creation, in fact, is subject to futility, it says in Romans. Nothing is as it should be. Ephesians 2, 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is a very real, active threat. Jesus must come again to secure his final victory, to judge the living and the dead, and to bring his church into the new creation, into the new heaven and the new earth. And until he does, we as believers, we in the church, we stare out like a watchman on a wall. We stare out into the darkness of this world. And the darkness yet within our own hearts, crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom us. Savior of the nations, come. I said at the start of the service on, the, on these four Sundays in Advent, I'm going to be preaching from the appointed Old Testament texts from Isaiah. And it's not like I'm starting with Isaiah 2 and then next week is Isaiah 3. No, we're going to jump around quite a bit. But here's what we're going to see this morning from Isaiah 2. That the mountain of the Lord that Isaiah prophesied that was going to rise up and be the tallest of all mountains is the church. We are on the mountain of the Lord. The latter days are right now. And just like Isaiah said, people are constantly drawn out of darkness into the light of Jesus by the gospel. So if you have your bulletin handy, why don't you turn it over and you can follow along. I'm going to preach mainly on verses 2, 3, and 4 from Isaiah chapter 2. After a brief formal introduction, the body of the text begins like this in verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days. And boom, right like that, we are thinking the latter days, end times, conspiracy theories, newspaper headlines, wars in the Middle East, the Battle of Armageddon, conflicts, microchips getting embedded into our hands, the number of the beast, all this wild stuff that comes along as soon as you mention end times and latter days. And I just want to tell you, just... Put your blinders on. Block all that noise out. The latter days are right now. It's not something yet to come. The latter days have been happening since Jesus walked the earth. Now, nobody really expected the latter days to be 2,000 years long, you know, 2,000 years worth of latter days. But here we are. We're in the final chapter of the story of redemption. And Isaiah continues now, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Now, Isaiah isn't literally talking about a particular mountain that through some earthquake or geological phenomenon is going to rise up higher than the rest of them. Instead, what's going on here is this thing that often happens in the Bible where this idea of a mountain or a couple different places all mentioned as if they're the same thing are spoken of as the center of God's glorious reign on earth. Do you remember about a month ago now on Reformation Sunday, I was preaching from Psalm 46 and it said there is a stream whose, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of high or the city of God, the city of God most high, the holy habitation. Of God, And it was this kaleidoscope of the Garden of Eden and the city of Jerusalem. But it really was all pointing to the church. The same thing is happening here. The mountain of the Lord 
as the place from which God will rule over the earth, the center of God's kingdom of grace right now is the church. It's not a particular mountain somewhere in the Middle East. Isaiah continues this image. He says, all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So in other words, Isaiah is prophesying that everybody is going to know, not necessarily every single individual person, but people from all across the earth are going to realize, hey, that place, the mountain of the Lord, is where God is. That's where we will learn the ways of the Lord. Let's go there. All people, people from everywhere are going to be drawn to the mountain of the Lord. It's going to be the place to be. And Isaiah adds this little explanation. He says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's not two different things. That's the same thing using something called Hebrew parallelism. It's an aspect of poetry in a language that's foreign to us, but you see this a lot in the Psalms. You see it a lot in poetry in the Old Testament where an idea is spoken twice in a row, just slightly different the second time. The law shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Zion and Jerusalem, same place, okay? Now, by the way, this is something Isaiah mentions a few times in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 25, verse 6, he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. There's more of that parallelism I was just talking about. And then much later in Isaiah, almost at the end of the book, in chapter 56, verses 6 and 7, it says this, The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Now, one more time, let me emphasize, this is not an actual mountain somewhere, part of a physical mountain range. That was the mistake that the Jews who rejected Jesus made. They expected the physical city of Jerusalem to be exalted. They expected a king to come in power to deliver them from the Romans, to make them the most favored people on earth, the strongest nation in all of the ways that the world would expect. Power, riches, might. But Jesus came with none of those things. And they rejected him. But one thing that the people who rejected Jesus actually did get right is the importance of the place of Jerusalem in all of this. I've said a couple times, it, the mountain upon which Jerusalem is built is not going to be raised up and be taller than every other mountain around it, but Jerusalem is still an important part of this because of this phrase that we just passed over a second ago. Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Out of Zion shall go forth the law. Instead of the law there, I wish the ESV would just have said the instruction. 
the Torah. The Torah, that's the word that stands behind this in the ESV translation that the Missouri Synod has adopted. Always translates that as law. But I think when we hear law, we think, oh, that's law. It's not gospel. I don't really have to care about that. That's a separate thing from the good news of Jesus. So that's kind of an Old Testament thing that we can just forget about. That's not the case. The word of the Lord comes out of Jerusalem. You might as well say, out of Zion shall go forth the gospel. And this was fulfilled 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ, God incarnate, entered into Jerusalem. And the people said, Hosanna to the son of David. And Jerusalem kicked him out. They killed him just outside the walls, in fact. But then from where did the gospel flow? Out of Jerusalem and to the rest of the known world, then some 2,000 years later, to here. It says in the last chapter of Luke, right before the ending of the book, Jesus is with the disciples. This is after his resurrection, just before his ascension. In verse 44, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Now, here's the important part. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The word of God would go forth to all nations, but it had to start somewhere. It started in Jerusalem. And this is what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 2. The word of the Lord shall go forth from Jerusalem. Out of Zion shall go forth the law. Because Jesus Christ has already come, the mountain that Isaiah prophesied is the church. And here's how this happens. Jesus was killed, you could say, in Jerusalem, just outside the city wall of Jerusalem. And he was crucified on a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, but it's also known as Calvary. And Calvary is described as a hill. So the mountain of the Lord that is lifted up, that draws all people to it for salvation and life, is not the great you know, Mount Zion or Mount Sinai, but it's this little bump, this little elevation above the road outside of Jerusalem called Calvary. And because of what Jesus did there, this has gone forth now. It's not the physical geographical place that provides blessing, that draws all people to it, but it's what Jesus did there that didn't stay there, but it went forth from there, from Jerusalem to all the ends of the earth, to all nations, for repentance and life and salvation. Nations are not yet at peace with each other, like Isaiah says in verse 4. Right? He's talking about Jesus. He shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That's not yet happened because wars have been going on for the last 2,000 years and will continue 
again until Jesus comes. And yet, the greatest peace of all has already been brokered. And we're not singing it now in Advent. We're saving it up for Christmas. But at the birth of Jesus, the spiritual realm converged on our own. The sky was torn open. And the shepherds who were guarding their flocks by night saw an uncountable number of angels and they were singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. Peace greater than a temporary ceasefire or friendly relations between nations on earth. Peace between God and us. That is the peace that Jesus has already brought. So as we bring this to a close here in verse four, we feel this tension. You could call it the tension of Advent between the already and the not yet, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. This is what it is to be a Christian. This is what I mean when I say this season is a chance, short though it is, to tune our sense of longing for Jesus to return. These promises from Isaiah 2 are already fulfilled in Christ. We are on the mountain of the Lord already. All nations are drawn to the church because Jesus is here. This is where you learn the ways of the Lord. This is where you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But things are still not perfect. Things are still not okay. It's fulfilled in part, but not yet fully. And so we as the church say, come, Lord, judge between the nations. Lead us to beat our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks. Teach us the ways of peace. The last verse of O come, O come, Emmanuel, come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. In Advent, we draw strength and power from Christ's first coming in order to persevere in a world plagued by our sin until Jesus returns to finally reign openly over all things. The world is dark because of us, because of our sin. But Christ's light shines here in this place. Christ's light shines in our hearts Christ's light shines in the church on the mountain of the Lord. And until Jesus returns, let us walk in the light, as Isaiah says in verse 5. O house of Jacob, O church, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord and welcome all who are drawn to this holy mountain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.